So today we're in uh, chapter 5 of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, and it would be called A Workman's Walk, part 2. Sunday was part 1, chapter 4. So Ephesians chapter 5, A Workman's Walk. It says in verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named amongst you as it is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. And let's pray again. Father, I thank you for our worship team. I thank you for our team in back ministering to our our children and to our youth. Thank you for the junior high work. Accomplish your purposes. But here this evening, Lord, there's such a, a rich instruction from us, especially how to really live and how to walk in love and, and in the light and, and carefully and, and to be filled with the Spirit and how we relate to one another, especially our own spouses and family. Lord, I believe you want to do a great work in my life and in our lives tonight. As we learned on Sunday, we do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit by holding in our heart a bitterness or anger or anything else. Forgive us of those sins now that we can really be filled with your Holy Spirit as we go through this study. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, on Wednesday nights, it's great to have you out, and I really appreciate it. Thank you for being here and making the commitment. And usually sitting right over here in the second row or third row would be uh, my wife Pam's mom named Trace and her husband Lou. Um, Trace and Lou got married about four years ago. Lou had served as a missionary in Africa for 20 years or so with his wife. He was married for about 57 years, and his wife had died in Africa. And Pam's mom, Trace, has been on a mission trip to Africa a number of times, but that's where they met. And uh, they ended up getting married and spent time back in Africa, came here, and they'd be sitting right over there. And uh, this last week on Thursday, uh, Pam and I went over to anoint Lou with oil. He's had cancer, and hospice was coming to the house on Thursday. We were there before hospice came and was able to pray and just bring everything to the Lord, anoint with oil. Hospice came, and we left, and just appreciate the work that hospice does. But unfortunately, things move more quickly than people realize, and he is with Jesus. He left to go to be with Jesus today. So it was just amazingly fast time. So keep us in prayer and just a lot of things that have been a part of this last few days. So just appreciate it. And I think as I've communicated to our body, um, I don't make these things up. I've said that things in life are happening in a continual, ongoing way with mu- not much of a buffer zone between, but just different things in life, in life situations. And, and God's in control. He's absolutely in control, but 
We don't want to be naive of the day in which we live, okay? And thank God for his testimony. It was such a joy to be around the bed with him and his sons and yesterday and being able to pray and just bring a sense of thanksgiving to the Lord for a life that served Jesus and knowing that he was coming to what we said on Sunday, see at the finish line. He's there. So when we look at chapter 5, of Ephesians, verse 1, in the study of workman's walk, we realize that the exhortation to us is to be imitators of God as dear children. So there's this relationship that has been formed between us and God, and it's, it's come together because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he's bringing us together, and we're called the church, and he calls us his children. And remember, in Ephesians, he does, a, he does not just throw that name out, but then he gives a sense of what it is to be a child. You get to be adopted, to be a part of the family of God. And if you're questioning any of that, he fills us and gives us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee. And he tells us the inheritance that we have. And he tells us the things that we now possess. And it actually communicates to us that the Lord sees us already seated with him in the heavenly places. He sees our life all the way through its days and with him, our ultimate you know, place of being with the Lord Jesus in heaven. So he sees all of this. He knows it. And then we back it all up, and he says, before Genesis 1-1, before creation, I knew you. I wanted you. I called you. I chose you. And we just stand back, and we ponder, and we say, Lord, before it all began, I was on your heart. I mean, you're going to call me to yourself. And through this whole life, with all the things that are going on, You already see us seated with you in the heavenly places. God, help me. Help me, Lord, not to get caught up in this world and in striving and these other things. Then we ended last week, and it's so important for us to revisit this as we move on. But in verse 32 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, it's so important to see that he's saying the key is forgiveness. That's the absolute key when we move ahead in 5 And into six, when we're talking about the significant relationships of life, all of this is put in order, and it's forgiveness. In other words, we do not have a relationship with Christ if there has not been forgiveness, nor do we have a substance relationship with anyone else if there's bitterness, if there's anger, if there's clamor, and these things taking place. It paralyzes us. So let me just explain as if you don't know, but our human nature, our human nature, when we're hurt, when we're hurt, we want others to hurt. So if someone hurts me, I want them to feel hurt. I want them to feel the pain. Now, I can't do something to intentionally inflict pain on them because, you know, you get arrested. So in your mind, You murder them in your mind. This is our human nature. It speaks about it in the Bible. So what we want, and the strange thing is, is we even take delight in the fact that someone that hurt us is now being uh, afflicted in some sort of a way. There's a strangeness in our our carnal nature that we would take delight in that. It's like, man, they get what they deserve. I'm glad. I hope it hurts. I hope they understand how much... You know, they hurt me, or I just want them to hurt. 
And what happens, that's called bitterness that's in us. And what we think, because we, we're deceived at this point. So our thinking is, is that we take you know, delight in someone else's suffering and that they deserve it. We take delight, but we become a prisoner ourselves. In other words, we end up drinking our own poison, and it destroys us. And that's what he's saying. We don't want to go there. And he's made the provision, so he's saying in chapter 5, verse 2, then what do I do? Well, I need to walk in love. How? How do you walk in love? He says, well, remember how Christ loved you? That's right. Remember when you didn't deserve to be loved, and he says, I love you? And he calls us to himself? And he says in verse 2, he he given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. In other words, Christ sacrificed his life for us, and he's asking us in the same way to live sacrificially for others. So when we live sacrificially for others, that means we'll be taken advantage of. It's a given. When you live sacrificially for others and you live like Christ... You just look and see, what did Christ subject himself to? What was his world like? Was his world one where everyone was all cheering? What times there were, but there were other times where people were saying, crucify him. And it says that he came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. Even within his own family, there was rejection until after his resurrection from the dead. And so... We need to begin to have this mind, as we're learning in Philippians, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the mind that we have to have as we go through an understanding of these scriptures and as it relates to others. Now, look in verses 3, and you have your outline there, but what does it mean to be in love with Jesus? To be in love with Jesus means I'm going to walk after Jesus And I want to be as much like Jesus as I can. And the reality of that is dying to myself. And therefore, there's a sense of a sacrifice as unto God. And that is a very sweet-smelling aroma. Well, in case we get confused, and it almost reminds me of my days in growing up in Catholicism, because in Catholicism, before you confess your sins to the priest, there is what I would call a little menu outside the confessional. And you pull up the menu, and it's basically a review of a number of sins or commandments that, are, that you would be breaking. So just in case if you forget, you've got the memory to be thinking about, or you can go back through it before you confess your sins. And I think for our sake, many times people may be wondering, what is sin? So he lays it out for us really clearly. And I was speaking earlier, too, to one of the fellows, but I've really been praying and asking God to help me better understand what is going on in our world with Christians, especially the the generation coming up specifically, and asking God, please, Lord, help. We want to reach the world. We want to reach each and every generation. But when I see those that have grown up in the church and and now the, the pursuit isn't for the things of God, or it's, it's very cloudy, and it's very difficult, and it's very disturbing. And I'm saying, Lord, what is it? What's happening? Help me, Lord. 
And in this particular study, I believe he has helped with some enlightenment for me just to understand. In a general way, anybody that is saved and is still living as though they're not saved, in other words, they're in that realm where the unsaved live and breathe and have their pleasure, have their fulfillment, even as a believer in that realm, he's saying you shouldn't be in that realm, clearly. So that's one area that's helpful. Another is just the significance of God's word and being able to know who the Lord is and who we are in Christ. And then the third is the Holy Spirit and understanding the work of the Holy Spirit to be baptized and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So as we're going through Ephesians chapter 5, and in verse 3, we begin to unfold to us what it means to be in love with yourself instead of with Jesus. It says in verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness is speaking about immoral sins. Now, fornication, as probably all of us know, is sex outside of marriage. Now, there's a connotation that's out there amongst Christians that if I'm abstaining from sexual intercourse, I'm good with everything else. That's really the way it is out there. I mean, that's seriously the way it is with the Christian mind in many, 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 many cases. That if I'm not having sexual intercourse, I'm really okay, I'm good. We didn't go, as they would say, all the way. The Bible is very clear that any immoral relationship, married or unmarried, as he says right here, it's not fitting if you're a believer in Christ. Look in, again, verse 3. It's not fitting for saints. And then he says, all uncleanness, all covetousness. It says it shouldn't even be named amongst you. So therefore, regarding the immoral world, we live in this world, we're not of this world, so if someone is taking advantage of another person physically and sexually, in other words, realistically in a relationship, and if it's a dating relationship, the other person needs to be a believer. And in that relationship, it's very narrow as far as how expressive you should be in your love and affection for one another. It's very narrow in that realm. In other words, you don't want to be stirring up passions, sexual passions and desires, because you're creating great temptation within that relationship. And as you see what will happen, it's going to really affect your relationship with each other, your relationship with Christ, your testimony for others, and it will affect... In your marriage, it will prove to be having some consequences within your marriage. This is God's word. It's his counsel. We're not making it up. He's saying, you want to stay away from pornography. You want to stay away from any of these things that create a sense of of covetousness or desire. Verse 4, neither anything filthy nor foolish talking. You know, the, the jokes that could be in the workplace or the coarse gesturing. And I'm sad to say it goes with men and women And I'd like to say with women, more than I've ever known in the past. The the coarse language, the connotations 
of other relationships. And there's sexual connotations in the workplace. And it's off the charts. I listen. I pay attention. I'm in a world that helps people that have been indulging in a lot of things. So I'm aware. And it's absolutely, in a sense, you begin to see why we're in the place that we're in. But he's saying there's no place for it. You don't, you don't give any. You, you, rather, you give thanks. You say, I'm not interested in that. I know where this is going. and I don't want to hear it. As a matter of fact, the things that you're saying, you know, in this whole realm, I don't want to hear it. And you shouldn't be saying that. I don't care if they're a believer or not a believer. Just say, that's not my world. I'm not in that world. That's not a part of my conversation. I'm not, not here hired here to hear this. I'm here to, you know, there's other ways I can help. But make it clear. Set your boundaries down. Be fully loving. But, but be committed. It'll be attractive later on. Believe me, people will seek you out later on. People will seek you out when they're very hurt and very desperate and they want somebody that stands for something and someone that stands for someone, Jesus Christ. They'll be looking you up. They'll want to talk with you. And again, graciously. Now, turn over. Let's see what Jesus has to say in chapter 3 of John. In John's gospel, chapter 3, in John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking, and it might come to mind that chapter 3 of John has to do with Nicodemus and the new birth and what we're talking about is this new relationship and I think we all love and are familiar with John 3:16 we know it pretty well God so loved the world John 3:16 that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life now follow me verse 17 Jesus is still speaking he says for God did not send his son that's himself into the world look to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved got it but keep reading He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. All right, verse 19. And this is the condemnation. What is it? Very important. That the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light least his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. One of my first sales jobs when we were married was with a company called S.C. Johnson. So S.G. Johnson is a large corporation out of Wisconsin, and they make a variety of products. But one of the products they made in the commercial realm was a product called Bolt. B-O-L-T. And Bolt was a pesticide, and it was a specific pesticide that could be used in food service areas. Most of the products that we're able to move, it takes a demonstration because they're large warehouses that are buying these products. So you want to do a demonstration in a commercial place, and uh, Bolt was was the killer, for reals. And so, especially in a place where there's cockroaches and other things like this, we're working in the Denver and Midwest area. So, You'd go into a place that they knew they had some problems, and basically lights are out, and you bring this product, this pesticide, Bolt, and you'd spray it in the kitchen area or wherever, and you flip the lights on, and then you just see the cockroaches bolting. I mean, they're, they're just like up the walls and all over. It's like, oh, I'm never coming here again. I mean, to eat in this place. But they just, they just take off. And in a sense... In the world, what happens is when the light shines, either we come to the Lord 
we come to God in his way or we take off, we bolt. And what we have right now is believers bolting instead of coming and fellowshipping with Jesus. Again, look in verse 5. He says, for this, Ephesians 5, 5, you know that no fornicator or unclean person nor covetousness, a man nor uh, he who is an idolater. Again, what that means is not just having a little statue that you bow down to, but when you love these things, you're in love with them. It is your passion. That's idolatry. You love the stuff and not Jesus. But notice, it's very clear. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God? In other words, we do not negotiate sin. There's no negotiation. There's no negotiation with God. He makes it clear. And verse 6 To affirm that there's no negotiation, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So even though we have a state governor that takes the authority of signing a bill for same-sex marriage, when you look at the scriptures here, that's an abomination to the Lord and to his word. And we're not partakers of that. We're not mean, not hateful. We love God and we love people. And she's signing a bill that invites destructive behavior and affirms it and promotes it. And for us, as we go through the rest of this chapter, it should be greatly a burden on us. Now, by the way, we have people that have been meeting because there's going to be an opposition to this, a referendum and an opportunity to try to get this on the ballot and let the people vote on this matter. But it is a stronghold and the battles are severe. And I've been talking with a few that are very, very at the center of this involvement. And um, it is a spiritual battle. The strongholds And the things that are going on, unbelievable. But he says this. And so we don't want to be deceived. In other words, if anyone is thinking that they're okay, if you're thinking in your mind, you're okay. You're okay and you're doing these sins. And you say, well, I'm not doing them all that much. You know, you want to minimize. Again, you're deceived. Don't negotiate sin. Flee. If you try to negotiate sin, you're going to lose. You can't win. Now, verse 8, it says, And I love it, for you once, you were once, uh, you were once darkness, but now, as we read, the light of the Lord. Now walk as children of the light in verse 8. So we're going to walk in the light. We're walking in love. We're going to walk in the light. What does it mean to walk in the light? Well, when you're walking in the light, it says, For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So here we are, we're in this world, we're in this life, we're born again, we're walking in love, we see this world. This world is a huge contradiction to what you believe, but yet we're going to walk in love because we have Christ living in us. He is our hope, God is love, He lives within us. We're going to move through this life and this world and all the things in 3, 4, and in 5, 
They've all been a part of our lives that contaminate us, but now we're moving ahead without being partakers with those, and our, our eyes are open to how greatly we were deceived and realizing that the enemy still wants to deceive us. And so we want to move ahead because the consequences are eternal consequences because it says you shall not inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 7 again, do not be partakers with them. So we, before we again we move into the light, that means, well, what does that mean? Yeah, pastor, what does that mean? If I have friends that I used to really party with, live, I mean, hang out with and all this, now I'm saved, and how do I relate to them? I believe you relate to them like Christ would relate to them. You relate to them in truth and in love and in grace. But you're not partakers with them. What does that mean? That means we don't have fellowship together, that our times together is fairly limited and fairly guarded. And they understand that. That our fellowship is with believers, the deepness of our relationship. So we make known who we are and that we've changed. We don't apologize for that. We demonstrate love. If someone has a need, if something's going on, we're the first ones there. We demonstrate. We're there to help in a practical way. Absolutely. We haven't lost that. We pray for them like never before, but just not partakers with them anymore. I'm not a part of that, that group anymore. And they'll have their comments, and that's okay. And don't be put off by their comments or all of a sudden have an attitude towards them. They're in darkness, just like you and I once were. So now we're going to walk in the light. There's going to be fruit coming from our lives. We want to know what's acceptable, God. So in verse 11, the instruction is, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Rather, expose them. And this idea of fellowship is important to us as believers because we have fellowship with one another because of Christ. So even with other believers, when we talk about unity, but and, and there's no real fellowship, the reason that there isn't is because lives are not broken and surrendered at the cross. People are not admitting their sin. They're not coming humbly and repenting and asking for forgiveness. That's where fellowship takes place. And he says, with the unfruitful works of darkness, rather expose them. So our lives, when you're living in the light, you are, in a sense, the bolt. You are, in a sense, when you're living in the light, your life is in the light. And obviously, somebody that's living in darkness, it's obvious. Someone's in the light and someone's not. I don't think they're telling us to be you know, put on a a policeman's outfit and blow whistles and things like that as far as exposing them, but you're living in the light. You live for the truth. You, You read God's word. You think about what's happening. You're able to give good, godly answers for the truth that's in you. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest is light. When we come with the truth, we bring the truth, those that are walking in darkness, they flame up. And they'll say to you, I can't believe you're saying that. In even recent conversations we have, they'll they'll say, 
that you're a bigot or that you're prejudiced. And they'll say these things about you, that you're a hateful person. And what is happening really is the light is exposing the darkness and the defense of the darkness, the defense of the darkness, that's what they're going to say. That's how they're going to defend themselves. Do not be pulled in to that. I just say, I'm sorry that you feel that way because I don't feel that way about you. I care about you. I do. Do not be pulled in. Again, the enemy has a strategy. We're, we're different. We're walking in the light. And it says for us in verse 14, Therefore, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And I believe that that can be for us, even as believers today, to wake up out of spiritual darkness or spiritual slumber. Let's, let's look over in Romans 12 to the left. Be encouraged with what God's called us to be. So we're looking at Ephesians. We're looking about walking in love, walking in the light. It is confrontational. A life in the light is confrontational to the dark. But we learned in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Paul speaking, he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So like back up in verse 1 and 2 of Ephesians. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove that which is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So someone says, I want to know God's will for my life. Wonderful. But do you want to be like Jesus? Or is it just that you want the knowledge of what your future might be like so that it might answer the quest that you have in your mind about what is the future like. Show me your will. It's as though you think the Bible is a big fortune cookie. What the Lord is saying is that we're just going to go to him and we're going to seek him and we want him to conform us, transform us. We do not want to be like the world, but renew our mind. And as we walk day by day, he will reveal what he has for us to do. And the more that you're walking and abiding with the Lord, the more your life is interrupted daily. The more interruptions are coming just daily as you're abiding with him. Because there are things, Proverbs said, man plans his ways, the Lord directs his steps. So there are things, you know, that are on my mind, my heart, or whatever else. But then we live in this reality, and you move ahead, and you trust God. You're living diligently, but you realize he's going to create situations, and you yield to him and that's his will for us. Back to Ephesians chapter 5. We're studying again what it is to walk in love, in the light. What it is to walk carefully and to walk in our marriages. So in Ephesians chapter 5, we're getting, moving through this. But he says in verse 15, be careful. that you See that you walk carefully. Uh, not as the fools, but as wise. What do you want to do? You want to redeem the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So as we're moving ahead, how can I walk in love? How can I walk in the light? Well, we do that by walking carefully. We realize that we're living in the last days. We want to redeem the time. We want to buy up every opportunity. We want to see God work. We want people surrendered to the Lord and following after the Lord Jesus Christ, and living for him. We want to be wise and have the mind of God and not the mind of the world. How does this take place? 
verse 18. He says, people know what it is to be intoxicated. People know what it is just to take in, in the alcohol and to be drunk. In other words, that um, alcohol is, when you talk to somebody, you say, you're not speaking, the alcohol is. You're just tanked. It's the alcohol, it's all I hear right now. You're just tanked, sober up. He's saying, well, you understand what it is to be drunk. But he says, I want to take this sense of intoxication, and I want you to be intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. That's what I want. I want your life to be so overrun that it's not you, and it's God in you speaking. God is speaking in you, through you. You're so filled with the Lord and with his word and with his love and with his grace. You're so filled with God that, that God is coming out. And it's an attractive thing. People want to be around you. As a matter of fact, if God is working in your life, verse 19, you're going to be speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You're going to give thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's this life that is birth uh, coming forth. And when we were talking about today in, in, in life and and Christians, and that's what I'm addressing. Paul's addressing the Christians at Ephesus, and he's saying to them, this is the way it's supposed to be. So we draw back and we look and we see what is happening. Why, does a, why is the culture more important than Christ? Why is pleasing the people in the culture more important than just pleasing God? That's my question. Why is that? And so the reason can be is that Believers are living in this dark realm. They haven't, haven't left it. They're still partaking. And the thing is, is that there's a pleasure and a desire that they receive. In other words, the answer is, the world makes me more fulfilled and excited and, and it's just more pleasurable and I enjoy it and it's fun. And Christianity isn't fun and this place is fun. But in this fun zone that I'm in, I'm just not going to, you know, just, you know, give myself away to darkness, but it's a fun zone. It's a place that I like. I kind of move in it. And the Lord is saying, what are you doing? You don't belong in that place. Remove yourself completely from that place. Be filled with the Spirit of God, and you will experience what you've always been looking for. Your life now is not going to be centered upon yourself, your friends, your happening, and How are we going to have a good time and what's going to make us happy? Instead, it's like, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. How can God use me to bless somebody else? I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. How can my life be different? I'm going to give thanks to God. I'm going to look to God. I'm going to bless the name of Jesus. And then we get to verse 21 and it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. What? Are you kidding I love the study until that big S word came up. Submit. As a matter of fact, it comes up on the next verse with the word wife before it. Oh, if we can just pass over those verses. No, no. Go to the one about the guy. Yeah, Pastor, preach about the guy, the husband, the love. Just move down there. I didn't put this in the order it's in. We're just trying to follow the orders from heaven on this. What does this mean? Well, verse 21 is absolutely key for every Christian, every believer. In other words, does 
Does your pastor know how to submit to God? Does he know how to submit to others? That's an important question. Submission to the Lord. And it says, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord, that there's a mutual submission within the body of Christ. There's a mutual work that's going on. It's how is the Spirit working in someone's life? What is God wanting to do? God is working through his body and the members of the body. And certainly he has leadership in place. We know that. But the leadership, we're yielded to God and not knowing what is, what is God wanting to do? What is he doing? How is he working? What are you thinking? How might that work out? How can we pray together? How can we trust God together in all of that? You see, in the corporation, again, I've, I've explained and, and you know, but in a corporation, it's almost like a pyramid and you have you know, your CEO and uh, your financial officers and, and everybody at the top there, and then it kind of goes down to the new higher employees that might be at the wider base. But in Christianity, just flip it over. If you want to be in leadership, then enjoy life at the bottom. And Christianity and leadership is not the next step up on the rung. It's the next step down on the ladder. And that's not saying it in some superficial way or, in a sense, trying to be more spiritual. It's a reality. Life isn't about how many people served you, but how many people did you serve? How many people did you minister to sacrificially and love and lift up? Dawson Trotman, I believe, was his name and the founder of the Navigators. And when Billy Graham was uh, starting his ministry in the 40s and 50s and realizing that such significant amount of people were coming to Christ and wanting to know how best Billy Graham did, how best to help in the follow-up because that wasn't in the mind. That was in the mind. How do we follow up? So he asked the founder of the Navigators to help him develop that. And you notice the Navigators books, they, they teach us you know, the foundational truths, and they help us in Scripture memory. It's a wonderful ministry that God established. But that founder of that ministry, Dawson Trotman, you know how he died? He died on a lake. I'm not sure if it was a conference or what, but they were out on a lake in a boat, and the boat overturned, and they got the boat back up, and he was helping put people back up in the boat. And the last one that he was able to get up in the boat Got it in the boat, but he drowned. It's an amazing story. What a way to go, lifting up another brother or sister. And that's what we're called to do. The way we're able to lift up another brother or sister is because we just submit to the Lord. It's for you, God. We submit to him. And there's... If you think the ministry is to gain significance... Register for another class. <laughs> our significance is in Christ. That's where our significance comes, in, in pleasing him. But we need to look then as we move practically and see this next section about marriage. What does it mean to be a Christian wife and a Christian husband? And that's why we're going to have a couple of worship songs afterwards. Because before this takes place, again, please note, it's all laid out. But in chapter 5, we're talking about, I want to be in love with Jesus. And I want my walk to glorify Jesus. He loves Jesus. She loves Jesus. They walk in the light. They don't walk in the darkness. They walk in the light. And they walk carefully. In other words, that means even though I have the liberty to do a number of things, 
I choose not to because I'm thinking about you and I'm thinking about others and I'm thinking about how will my decision affect other people. I am accountable to God. That means I'm submitting to God. Lord, I have the liberty, but I use my liberty to walk carefully. I want to redeem the time. I don't want to miss any opportunity. Therefore, the decisions I make are decisions that are going to further the kingdom of God and not my temporary pleasure on earth. It's just simple. And there's fun and there's joy and there's laughter and there's excitement. And you live on a cutting edge that way. So you sing songs and say, God, I don't know. I don't understand how this is going to work out. I know you will work it out. You've always been faithful. And you submit to God, but you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So wives, husbands, moving down next week or on Sunday, six children, and then employers, employees, it's not going to happen unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So you have to ask, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Am I intoxicated with the Holy Spirit? Is it obvious that the Spirit of God is pouring out of my life? Or am I back up in 431? Is there bitterness or anger or wrath or hostility? Or is it the Holy Spirit? See, God can do this in an instant. With submission, he can do it in an instant. Just like salvation, it can happen. Save me. It can happen right then. It can change today. Wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Please note, to your husbands, not to your pastor or neighbor or anyone, to your husbands. It's important. We mutually submit to one another. That's, that's a given. But in this, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. And then it says, um, as we're looking here just at the wives. So first thing, wives, be filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 18. Second thing, verse 22 23, 24, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He's Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. So he's saying, God established an order. So the order is this. Christ is head of the church. He is the leader of the church. He is the leader of Calvary Chapel. Christ is the head of the church. It's his church. It's his body. In the same way, God's appointed, and not that men filled out an application. You'd be crazy to do it. But he just said, guess what? Men, you're the head of the wife. Men also lead the ministry in terms of pastoral speaking. It's just the order that God has. Again, people wrestle through all of that. It's just, just read the word. It's not as though someone made it up. God has a reason for that. Because as men, we're to provide and protect. That's why. That's what he's called us to do. And he's built us that way. And he's built a woman uniquely as well to be able to receive and to grow in an environment of security, in an environment of love. So you're going to submit, be filled with the Spirit, submit to your own husband, and then we'll drop down to verse 33. What does that mean It says, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife, speaking to the husband, and let, again, 33b, let the wife see that she respects her husband. So God has laid it out, husband and wife. God makes it very, very simple. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. That's it. 
You can buy all the books that you want. And I'm sure a lot of them can be helpful. I don't want to, you know, anything that could help encourage. But I, I have this really clear to say that before any of the other books, if we do not go before the Lord and say, God, I'm in verse 41 or verse 30, 31, 32. This is me. And I'm asking God for forgiveness. You've forgiven me, Lord. I'm asking for forgiveness. Help my heart right now. Lord, I need the infilling of your Holy Spirit right now. What's before me is an absolute nightmare. But Lord, I've let things get away from me. Things in my heart have gone all kinds of different ways. Lord, I can even be deceived in my own thinking of what really is true and what isn't. I'm confused. But I come before you, Lord, and I'm asking for your infilling, for your empowerment, for your love. Pour yourself upon me, Lord. I have no capacity to be submissive or to show respect. There's no way I want to do that. But, Lord, I do want to do that. Lord, I do desire to please you. Lord, I do want to go your way. Lord, it is time to redeem the time and not lose out. Lord, please help. That's what needs to take place. You follow me? I mean, seriously, if people don't give it to you straight, I don't know what's going on. That's straight. It's straight from God and his word. He knows us, and he's put us together. And then for the husband, he's saying, and there's more women, okay? There's a lot more text here for the husband. So look, it says, husbands, okay, you're to be the leader, but you're to be, listen, not the dominant leader. You're to be the servant leader. That's the title, servant leader. You lead by serving, because that's what Jesus did, right? So if I'm going to be like Jesus, I've got to get the right mindset. Look at verse 25. Again, husbands, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no way we have the capacity to love our wives like God would want us to if we're not filled with this Holy Spirit. So we need to love our wives like Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? Verse 25. He loved the church. He gave himself for her. He died for the church. So husbands, step up to a holy death. We, we die to ourselves. But see, this, is, you know, we're not, this is, has to be a supernatural work because you have these two people in the home, a husband and wife, and basically you've got unspoken expectations, unspoken desires, and each person really selfishly is wanting the other person to love them and accept them and know everything about them and just make it all happen. And then you realize, what did I do? I mean, did I marry the right person? But I'm a Christian and I got to stay married. If I wasn't a Christian, I, oh, this is the right one. I don't know. I used to like Johnny in freshman year in high school. I wonder what he's doing now. Go to Facebook. Oh, look at Johnny. No, don't look at Johnny. Anyways, you, you know, your mind goes all over the place. It just goes all over. And this is, this is deception. This is the enemy coming in and creating a, a division within it. So what has happened is this, that there is a challenge for every woman. There's a challenge for every man. So the woman is feeling insecure. She needs the security. God's put in the security of her husband. She needs her husband to love her and to protect her. I would give you a hint, husbands. If you even think about fixing your wife or the situation, you're in trouble. 
if she even thinks that you're thinking about fixing something about her, you're in huge trouble. She would love for you to listen to her and not offer any immediate ideas or suggestions or way to things. Just listen to her. Because actually, if you turn over to 1 Peter, and in 1 Peter chapter 3, it's, again, it's all God's words. It's all his writings. So he's saying to us in 1 Peter chapter 3, as he's speaking about marriage, 1 Peter chapter 3, he's saying in verse 7, uh, verse 3 through 7 is nice, but 7 is where the husband comes in. So this is our script, men. First Peter 3, 7, Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wife with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So what he's saying is, there's a spiritual dynamic within this relationship men that you have with your wives. The, f- the fact that I like to believe is, I think that out of every 10 born-again believers, married couples, if two are praying with any sense of regularity, I would rejoice. I love to be proven wrong. So what he's saying here is, why are the eight other not praying? And I don't mean at dinner or at a meal but three or four times a week specifically upholding one another and don't say that you don't have time. This is a strategy where deception comes in because husbands, when you come and you initiate the prayer, your wife hears your heart for her and your heart for Jesus and your heart for others. Your heart is revealed to her And when she sees and hears your heart and you're in love with Jesus and you're trusting the Lord and you're saying, God, help me, and you're humbled before God. And I'm not saying anything, you know, it's a big night of prayer. I'm saying 10 minutes. That revelation of your heart for Jesus and your heart to please him causes her to be stirred in her heart with trust and confidence in you as a leader of the home. So the enemy doesn't want prayer to happen. He wants you to be mad at each other. (laughs) He doesn't want you to pray. And that's what it's saying. You know, your, your prayers are hindered. They're not even in existence. Why? Because you didn't just sit down and say, just tell me, how are things going? I came home and noticed everybody's still alive in the home. That's good. Wasn't sure you'd make it through the day. That's great. But, you know, tell me about your world. And you have to set your mobile devices aside. And papers and distractions and, and give her your mind. Because there's a challenge that takes place. So what has happened is the wife is looking for love. The wife is looking for her, from her husband, love. Love me. And the response of a husband that's unsensitive says, I do. That's why you have a paycheck before you. I'm working hard. She doesn't want that. She knows that. But love me by listening to me. Love me by listening to me. Love me by taking my cares to God in prayer. And pray for me and pray out loud. Pray for me. Please. Believe God for me. Because there's a challenge that's inside. And the husband is saying, would you respect me? Would you just respect me? 
I need your respect. I need to make a decision I don't have to argue with every time. I just want to make a decision and have a direction. I feel as we want. And every time, we have to argue it all through. It's just not good enough. And so what happens is he becomes harsh and unresponsive. And she just wonders, I don't know if he really loves me. Does he really love me? I don't know. I don't feel really secure. It means he's going to leave me. He's going to stay with me. Are we going to be together? Do we have a future? What about our responsibilities? What about our, our kids? And then it becomes cold and distant. <laughs> Are you with me? I live in your world. I understand this. It applies to me. So when we're looking here at Ephesians and we're saying, let's win the world for Jesus Christ. And from my point of view as your pastor, it's I want to see our hearts be one for God. That our greatest witness is our marriage and our families. That's our greatest witness. That's the greatest thing we have. And in light of what's going on in our state, it just causes me to be more committed to you. I just be more in love with you. More praying for you. More praying for your marriages. More praying for your, your children. More praying for those that are going to be getting married. And coming alongside and upholding marriage. Upholding the light. Saying this is what God has done. This is what God is bringing together. Thank you, Jesus, for your work here to come alongside and to believe God in all of this. See, someone in both people have to give in. And we give in because we go back up to 21, and that's what God's called me to do, is to submit. So men and women, it's either bad and getting worse, or good, and getting better. It's either bad, and getting worse, or good, and getting better. Men, this is with my own wife, Pam. Wanting to love her like Christ loves the church. Thinking about her. Good morning, babe. How are you doing today? Good. Spending time. Pray before we leave. Call her throughout the day. Look forward to seeing her at night. Having dinner together. Talking. Relating. And still, she needs to be affirmed how much I love her. If I said it a hundred times, it has to be a hundred and one. It's just the way they're put together. First Peter said there, there, there's a frailty. In a good way. She needs that, that security. For her to say, love you, I'm good. I'm charged through the day. But for her to say, hey, I listened to your Wednesday night tape. I like it. Ooh, good. What else, you know? Because when she says, when she respects me, that's, where, that's what ministers to me. We're on the same page on that. The worship team is going to come up right now. And as we look at this and... So I've gone through this study. They're going to lead us in a couple of songs here. And I think it's worth just standing. And, and in this time, I would say that for myself and for any others, it's a time where we want to really evaluate. If I'm going to walk in love, walk in the light, walk carefully, that means I need to look at my life. And in my life and in my world are the things that I need to disassociate with. In other words, as your pastor, I never want any, anything in your mind to know that, you know what, 
No, I, I know. He's not going to be out drinking or doing things. He's, these, these, those things are settled, you know, it, and it brings security. You know, you, you come here, you know you're going to get the word of God. It brings security. It's the truth. And God builds our relationships that way. So we're going to stand. We're going to worship God in these songs. But just personally, ask God. Remove, Lord, things that aren't there. Lord, I want the infilling and the empowering of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I need that. Lord, I can't, I can't live without it. And then those that are married in the relationship, husband and wife, ask God, Lord, change me. And Lord, you can work on the other one as much as you want. Just, Lord, between me and you, change me that my life would honor you and my life would show love or show respect. Amen.